Welcome to Joiners, the podcast with Tim and Danny, where we order off the menu of hospitality's finest. And it's all hits on that menu. All hits. So, you know, in keeping with the tradition of addressing restaurant etiquette, we, faux pas. Yeah, faux pas and the like. We are going to discuss something else that has recently come up. Yes. Is it okay to send a dish back? Yeah. What, or it, comment on it, right. I guess. At what point, how bad or off does a dish have to be to mention to a server? Yeah. In my mind, I think you ha- if like your health is involved, if you think something... Like I was on vacation with a girlfriend one time and... She sent back, she like, she's like, this chicken sandwich tastes weird. She looked at it and it was, the chicken was pink. It was under, it was not cooked. Mm. That's like, you have to say something. Yeah, that's obvious. That's a hard situation. But then. We were in a if, gray area recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were out and I ordered some mussels and they weren't particularly bad. I didn't fear for my health or safety or my wellness, uh, however you want to say that. Um <laughs> But the mussels were much larger than usual, and the flavor was not what I would expect. Uh, the dish overall like just wasn't great, and it was hard to know whether it was like something was off or if that was just how it was. And so I didn't quite something think... just tasted off. I yeah. didn't. To, to be clear, I was there, but I did not order or try the mussels. Yeah, Tim was afraid. He thought he was going to get sick. No. I uh, just didn't order the mussels. Tim's allergic. Danny doesn't share when we go out to eat. So <laughs> yeah. If he had offered, I would have tried it. I'm like a hungry, hungry hippo. <laughs> and I just, anything that's in front of me, I just put my hand over and I pull toward <laughs> <You> me. Just... <laughs> <laughs> put your top teeth on yeah. the table and scrape. <laughs> exactly. hundred uh, percent. No, but ultimately the restaurant was great. They could kind of sense that they weren't. Yeah, when they came back half an hour later and the muscles hadn't been touched, they, they hadn't had an inkling <laughs> that something might together. be up. No, they handled it well. I just, yeah, you know, you just never know. Yeah, I think, but I mean, you're on the restaurant side of that. Yeah. So how did, how was that handled? If if, you, if I'm at Scoffle and I'm like, hey, this burger, well, the burger's always good. I'm not gonna. If I have some something that I don't usually have, and I'm like, hey, this tastes a little off. Mm-hmm. Like, what is there? Is that part of your training with your staff? How yeah, of course. Like I that? mean, we want to comp things. We want people to leave having had a good experience. Yeah. Uh, we don't want someone to feel obligated to eat something they don't like or be stuck with it. Yeah, Sarah from Loaf Lounge graciously takes back all the breakfast sandwiches that have runny yolks from Emily. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> so like, she seemed totally unfazed by that. She which did, is, which is surprising to me. Yeah, she had a she, she had a good kind spin of excited on it. that the staff gets to eat those then. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so and that's you know that's what I had. Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. Yeah, there is no rule of thumb. It's a situational thing, and it's an uncomfortable thing that you all have to deal with. I I I would much rather. I'm too shy, and I would I would just like kind of put my napkin over it, or I I don't know. I don't have the confidence to say something. Yeah, because like I don't know if I'm like I I want people to be like them to be like, what do you know? Like we're the restaurant. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Um, well, anyways. Uh, hey, Danny, I yeah. got a question for you. Oh, yeah, actually. yeah. What, uh, what's your favorite sports equipment brand? Do you prefer Wilson or do you like Bauer products? Hmm. It's uh, a good question. <laughs> well, you don't have to choose <laughs> because this week we've got both, Wilson and Bauer. <laughs> Our guest is Wilson Bauer from Flower Power. 
love that. I mostly love how much Wilson is going to cringe when he hears the intro <laughs> to his episode. One thing that I've learned the hard way over many years of trying to be a jokester is that if there is a joke about somebody's name, they've heard it a million times. Yeah, maybe so this do is a not new one. comment on Paul, it. who can say? But this one might be so esoteric and obscure <laughs> <laughs> that maybe he'll let it slip by. Yeah, Wilson uh, is a very talented chef, opened up Flower Power, that's F-L-O-U-R, Power, on Chicago Ave uh, a couple years ago at the beginning of the pandemic. And they're really just doing incredible stuff with pasta over there. Wilson has come from such highly critically acclaimed places as Elizabeth and Schwa. He even helped uh, kind of as a mercenary cook at Scofflaw in the early days. Uh, so I've known him for a long time. Great guy. Yeah, he is cutting no corners. He's doing everything right. He's a lot of emphasis on sourcing and relationships with vendors and uh, local and sustainable ingredients. Yeah, it's a pretty inspirational dude, inspirational story. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Wilson Bauer. Great to have you in here, man. It's yeah, been it's a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's good seeing you again. Yeah, Tim, did you know that Wilson was helping Scofflaw in the early days? He was helping Mickey. Helping with what? Helping uh, just in Mickey the kitchen. And, yeah, helping Mickey oh, nice. and Blake. Get Mickey or Blake a day off, depending on yeah. who wanted it. They oh, were, filling in. Yep, that's nice. right. Wilson yeah. was like the one person that Mickey could trust. And how was your experience with Scofflaw Group? Be, yeah, it was good. Be as I mean, honest as possible. <laughs> yeah. you know, I was like, I, Danny sucked. But... No, no, no. Because I have a policeman outside I want you to talk to about. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't get the full taste when it's only one day a week, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do remember the after shifts being a lot of fun, and, and the shifts were all good, too. And that kitchen is tight. It's yeah. about the size of this room, right? <laughs> it's a very small kitchen. And you throw How... a stove and a fridge in there. Yeah. <laughs> How does it compare? Yeah, let's let's rank the kitchens you've worked in by size. What's I know the, the size of your current one. So I would say, yeah, Scofflaw is probably the smallest. Love it. There was one kitchen in Seattle that I worked at that was really, really tight, uh, Blue Water, hmm. down on Lake Union. How many seats did it do? But the patio probably a couple hundred. Ooh, and it, it was, was smaller than Scofflaw. <laughs> yeah, it was like what kind it was of menu? One of, you know, just whatever steak. You know, proteins, starch, veg. Yeah. Right? Fried calamari. Artichoke dip, I think, was on the menu. This yeah. was like one of my first kitchen jobs. Whoa. So And are you from there? Yeah, yeah. Born and raised. Okay. Uh, I left there twenty uh twenty ten. Whoa. So I came out here and then haven't left. Yeah, that's similar to me. I came in two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Tim's kind of from here. Always been in or around Chicago. Yeah. That's right. Couldn't leave. Yeah, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but you look around and then you figure it's so much more expensive everywhere else, right? It, it really is. And so, this is the time of year where I'm like, I start to think about, I fantasize about living somewhere warmer. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Particularly when I'm walking to dogs at six in the morning and the wind is whipping. That my sucks. Face. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like for me, it comes in February. That's when I can't take it anymore. Yeah. yeah, that's right? when it's completely unbearable. Well, especially yeah. like on the West Coast, because that's when things start thawing. Yeah, so you exactly. Expect to see blossoms again in like March, and it's just like, oh no, it's still frozen here. Yeah, and also Feb is like a prank because you think that just get to March and you're good, but uh -huh. sometimes March is just one more month. Uh huh. Um, Same with April. 
you get a snow. <laughs> it's really in no April spring every year. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so you grew up uh, in so in like in actual yeah yeah Queen Anne oh was cool the neighborhood That's awesome. uh, North Side almost almost Fremont yeah um, yeah I went to school at Roosevelt High School and then went to a community college for culinary school after I had dropped out of. Uh, Washington State. Yeah. So I went to Washington State to do culinary, and uh, they they didn't really have a culinary program. It was more of a hospitality, like a hotel management type yeah. of course. And I was like, I don't want to do this. I want to cook. And did you? How early did you know you wanted to be a cook? Um, I don't know. A long time. I don't think there was ever really another career path. Wow. I mean, there was like music when I was you know, in like young high school, freshman, sophomore year. And then I think it was junior year. I started taking like, you know, what they used to call home act, but now they call it something else. But basically, you know, high school cooking classes and took a college course during high school, like over a summer and that kind of like sparked things. And then, and then Bourdain wrote that book and then I read that and I was like, oh, this is exactly what I want. Yeah. Did you all, like, did people tell you that you had a talent for it early on? Yeah, and looking back, I think they were just full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> what were the things that, like, what were the first things that you cooked or made? I don't know. I used to cook duck a lot because I thought that was, like, special and unique. Right? Yeah. I was like, oh, I don't want to cook chicken, so let's go get a duck, right? Wow. That's a step so, up from and chicken. And so, and it was never good, you know? <laughs> sure. yeah. I didn't know what I was doing, and, and then... Uh, Seafood, a lot of seafood, because it was always, like, you know, in the freezer. My dad liked to fish a lot. So, oh, cool. So we'd have a lot of, like, you know, frozen halibut or frozen salmon or whatever. So I could cook that kind of stuff. And, you know, just playing around in the kitchen is what I would do when I was younger. And then, you know, once we got to actual culinary school, I was already working in a jo- at a job. And so culinary school was kind of a kind of just a playground for me for a while. Yeah. Seems like that's the trend is people... Who end up in this career? By the time they get to culinary school, they've already set right. up a foundation. They're kind of bored. And then, and then you see what they're trying to teach you in school, and you're just like, "This isn't the real. This isn't how it works." And then you see you know, the thirty people behind you, and they're like, "They're sucking it up. Like that's how it's gonna be." And you're like, "They're lying to you guys. This isn't how it is." <laughs> yeah. So your first restaurant gigs were in Seattle, mm-hmm. and then when did you move out? So 2010, uh, moved out, got a job offer for out here. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have anything holding me back at home. So, yeah. And I always wanted to move east. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to hit Chicago, then New York, then maybe LA. Cause at the time, LA was, you know, pretty progressive with their food scene. Now I think they've kind of like, for whatever reason, I think in expenses, they've kind of like tapered off a little bit. But yeah. at the time, they were really like for the forefront. And so, so that was kind of like the the goals that I was shooting for myself. But then I got here and, you know, I just never left. So what was the first spot here? Longman. Oh, cool. Longman Eagle. Yeah. So and that's where you met Mickey. That's where that's where Mickey and I met. Cool. Yeah. So I worked there for about a year and a half, almost two years, I think. Yeah. Mickey gave you a really nice. Uh, oh, shout yeah. Out that was really on nice. His Instagram. Uh, yeah. I think I might have. Mickey's Mickey's pretty incredible. He's going to be missed. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, this, I'm just going to read 
well, I don't know if I want to read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can read. I can it. read. It's all right, fine. cool. It's yeah, I'm, I'm gonna try to read it though. in Mickey's voice, but uh, <laughs> I can't do Mickey's voice. But uh, sure, Wilson has been my friend for more than a decade at this point. But I'd love it if that weren't the case. His cooking without he's cooking without a net every night. The food is always so fucking good, and it's fleeting. Nothing sticks around for more than a day. The post shared previously is his favorites from the last week, and they won't be there this week or next. Go eat follow them i'm gonna come back before too long and i'd love it if it became impossible to eat there because it's too fucking busy and then there's a little bit more stuff there but right really nice uh sentiment from mickey neely uh who definitely knows food for sure um how does that you know oh it's really nice to hear right And, and and it's validating too because you know sometimes on those slow nights you're like are we doing good food yeah, you, know, you you start to like question things, right? For sure. Though, yeah. I mean, I don't really need someone to tell me that it's good, right? No, but, but it always helps. It does, and 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 sometimes you know, like as as a chef, you're kind of artistic, right? And so like you go off on these like tangents that like maybe only like other chefs get, and so like yeah. the regular consumer who maybe like might not follow things so closely might not necessarily like be into some of the weirder or like more obscure pasta dishes, and they want the like something that you'd find on a rosebuds menu or something like that right and yeah there's nothing wrong with that it's just really expensive to make it the way we make those things you know like, yeah i don't fry in canola oil so i have to use duck fat right and i can buy 10 times the amount of canola oil for the price of duck fat how are are you rendering duck fat from ducks? no we okay. bought buy okay. it already rendered okay. um I think if I was bigger, I could. I, I just, I mean, how many ducks would I have to buy? I know, I have no <laughs> idea. <would> insane. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so who do you buy duck fat from? Like, uh, Regalis has it. Okay. Um, you know, if, you know, maybe down the road, I think, you know, I want. we're trying to work with more and more farms um, for multiple reasons. And, and so I think, like, down the road, we would probably start using more... Uh, local raised ducks i mean the duck fat that we get is from indiana so it's not that far but yeah i also don't think that it's the greatest farm okay it's, but all food from comes from a farm right yep but so are equal. can you explain to the listener and to us what the difference would be from you know cooking stuff in canola oil versus duck fat well see that's where it gets complicated right because there's going to be scientists and people who are licensed who are going to argue opposite of what I say. Right. Yeah. But to you, what is the to me? What there? it is, is that like one canola oil is canola oil specifically is, is not food. It's engine lubricant and they've filtered it to be consumable. Um, oh man. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and that's the case with like, and then, so then, and then, gonna stop so that's kind of gross, right? Canola oil right now. <laughs> but it is safe for yeah. consumption. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the same as a McDonald's cheeseburger, like the pink slime type stuff, right? Yeah. It's gross to look at. It's gross to think about how it's been made. But at the end of the day, it is consumable and most people will be fine eating it. Um, eating it in large quantities, I think, is when you get into issues, right? Because everything has an LD50, right? The lethal dose for 50% of the population. Hmm. And and I think that, like, you know, there's 10% of the population that might be really sensitive to canola oil, hmm. right? And then those people might not be able to process it as well. And that's where you get inflammation issues. These are all my opinions, though, right? Because no, I'm, yeah. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nutritionist. I've taken a couple nutrition classes, but they don't teach you this stuff in that, right? Yeah. Um, 
And then and then and then you look at like the omega threes to omega sixes. Like we all know the omega fats, right? They're the ones that are supposed to be good for you, but it's the balance of omega three to omega six. And you want to have higher omega threes than omega sixes. Well, all the seed oils, canola, grape seed, all the seed oils have higher omega six than omega three. Whereas like grass fed beef fat, shell or seafood oils, like like fish oils, um, I think canola or uh, olive oil, I think, is, like, pretty, like, one-to-one. Yeah, neutral or whatever. Right. And so so you want to have, like, a ratio of one-to-one in your diet to, like, prevent heart issues and, and inflammation issues and all these things. And and uh, and the problem is, like, a lot of these, like, like canola oil is, like, 40 or is one to 40, three to six, right? Hmm. So, oh, so to, do, to, to, to eat a tablespoon of canola oil, you need to eat 40 tablespoons of fish oil to balance it out, right? And yeah. And at that point, you're consuming an extreme amount of fat, which isn't healthy, no matter the amount of, no matter what fat it is, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and so, so it's like, it's about balance, but it's also about supporting agriculture that I think is regenerative and um, and really good for the environment, right? And so that, so that you know, maybe when our kids are still, you know, they're raising their kids, that 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 there there is clean farmland. To, to produce food on and and to, to make sure that that's around, we have to support that kind of agriculture. And the kind of agriculture that they do to make canola oil isn't that. Does the, I mean, it sounds like uh, making a connection here between the name Flower Power right. and kind of your philosophy yeah, yeah, here. Yeah, some, some pot smoking hippie shit, right? <laughs> yeah, so is that like a reference to kind of like wholesome agriculture and also obviously it the flower start, that goes into... Right? It definitely like... When we opened in 2020, you know, we wanted to use fresh ingredients. We wanted to, like, I think we put an emphasis on, like, those buzzwords of local, sustainable, farm-to-table. We are like, oh, well, fuck it. There's a vendor called Local Foods. We'll just use them, right? But it turns out that their local foods aren't that great, right? They use superior brand squash, and that's what you get at Mariano's. You know, the Mighty Vine Tomatoes, which are a decent hydroponically grown greenhouse tomato but hydroponically grown greenhouse tomatoes suck so you know it's it's one of those things where it's like it's like they put a bunch of labels on things and and i don't it's hard to define what's good and bad yeah unless you're you're in there unless you're like digging in the dirt you're meeting the farmers you're like asking them hey what do you do to your fields when you're not growing on them you know are you like just letting it sit and then you're just dumping nitrogen in there and tilling it or are you putting cover crops and like plowing things over it and like not really like disturbing the microbiology that's in the soil so that those plants are healthier, which then if you have healthier plants, that's healthier nutrition for you and then that makes healthier people. Like, yeah, it's all connected. Yeah, it, I think, yeah, there's just a lot of bad information on labels due to marketing. Right. Oh, and <laughs> it's all you're right. good. No worries. It happens to Tim every day. It's going to happen in a few seconds. <laughs> it's probably Tim calling you. The person's going to call me next. <laughs> yeah, it's a scam call for Tim. But so, you know, like you, like you asked about the name, Flower Power. Um, and just so everyone knows, Flower Power is Wilson's restaurant. Right. It's spelled F-L-O-U-R. Like yep. the grained mill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or milled grain yeah. instead, of, instead of the, the botanical. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, the... the so we weren't really like super into like the whole like regenerative like biodynamic I guess would be like a, a quick word to describe it right but although there's like a lot that goes into all that right like mm-hmm. 
bearing cow horns packed with shit for a year and then and then you like use that to fertilize and it's like all right well some of this stuff's a little wacky yeah (laughs) but you're also like you're not bringing anything in right at all it's like that closed loop system and you know there's there's a there's a guy out in virginia uh jd saladin who does polyface farms i think he was in a book uh by uh Pollen, Pollen? Yeah, Michael, Michael Pollen. Pollen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, Omnivore's Dilemma, right? And like mm-hmm. that kind of, that book was kind of like what sparked that whole, which I read like a decade ago, but it's, it's kind of like sparked that whole like, well, this is another way to farm. And I think I was very dismissive of it because I was like, well, there's no way we can feed all these people doing that, right? Because like there's a lot of people. Yeah. But there's also a lot of overproduction. And so I don't know for sure if we could get away from that kind of agriculture of like, just get as much calories out of that acre as you possibly can. Um, I'd like to see that, and I'd like to support the kind of farms and farmers that that do that kind of stuff, right? So has flower power already evolved to lean more toward those farms than even we're trying two our years best. Ago? You know, we don't we don't always <clears throat> hit the mark every time. Um, Are there certain things you make exceptions for because you think the there flavor is, is there, so superior? There is one, and it's, <laughs> it's the kosher salt. All right. Yeah. Enough. Like I, I can't, I can't get away from diamond crystal kosher salt. Yeah. Hell yeah. And, and it's, I've worked at other restaurants, you know, where, where they've used sea salt, and I think it's amazing. And but, twenty years of seasoning with diamond crystal, I can't season with another salt. It doesn't work. You for me. can't change it up because it's, it's weaker. So it, you use more of it. I mean, it, they're they're all sodium chloride, right? It all should just be the same thing. But you're used. To, I mean, you're sensitive. But it's the amount of pinch. It's yep. it's the way. It's the rate at which it dissolves into products, right? Because hmm. a lot of salts have caking agents in them or anti-caking agents, so that they don't clump, right? The whole it, when it rains, it pours. From yeah, Martin's, Martin's, right? Yeah. It's because it's humid. It doesn't cake up because it's got that. I forget what it is. It's in there. Um, but that has a flavor to it. And not only does that have a flavor to it, but it has. It slows the rate at which it dissolves. Right. And so when you're like mixing stuff in and you taste Whoa. it and you're like, oh no, it needs more salt, it needs more salt. And then all of a sudden it <clears throat> dissolves. You're like, oh shit. Yep. I mean, I'd say you're doing pretty well if you only have one exception and that's this one particular salt. Yeah. Well, and then also it's like, oh damn, I didn't order parsley. I need parsley, right? And I'm not going to go drive 30 miles to go down to the <laughs> yeah, farm to get some parsley. There's, well. They have organic parsley at the store. So yeah, I'll go buy that, right? Yeah, but we don't buy meats from this. We don't, you know. It's like there's certain things where it's like I won't make an exception on, right? Yeah. Joiners podcast is brought to you by Party Can. Party Can is a premium batched, large format, full flavored cocktail that uses high end liquor, real juice, real ingredients. It's all natural gluten-free it's 12 drinks in a single can and guess what that can actually floats you can take it to the beach the pool on the boat camping hiking to the game everywhere you go it is recyclable and reusable it's a party in a can and everyone's invited party can is available at multiple retailers around chicago around the country and you can always go to drinkpartycan.com to find a local store or have one shipped to you or a friend and now back to our interview I saw your post on December 1st on Instagram about kind of explaining the 
or maybe the justification of, of rising costs in the food industry. Like everyone right. knows prices are, are crazy right now. Yeah. My wife's like, you need to just stop complaining when you go to the grocery store. Like things are just more expensive now. But I think it's important to have that transparency so that consumers understand like there's a reason that these things are more expensive. And it's not just like you, your costs haven't gone up because of inflation. You're using the best ingredients. And inflation. Well, that, that's a yeah. component too. But so yeah, I, I got so, it on both ends. Yeah, <laughs> but I wanted to have you talk a little bit about that, and and like we'd love to peek behind the curtain and learn about the, kind of the things that go through your mind as you're putting together a menu and setting your prices, because I think that's important. So I don't know how I set the prices. That's <laughs> I, you know, it's it, that's more of one of those like what will people pay for it? Because if I were to go and like actually break down the cost, mm-hmm. I should be charging twenty six dollars a bowl, right? Because yeah. Because my chicken's $5 a pound. Because my flour is $55 a bag, as opposed to like domestic flour, which is like, it's been so long since I bought it, but it was less than $20 a bag the last time I bought it. And I pay almost three times as much now. Yeah. But I don't charge three times 12, you know, last, the one I was doing it before was $12 a bowl. And I don't charge 36 now, even though all my costs have gone up three times, at least. You know, what can I buy? What does is, what is commodity chicken cost? 99 cents a pound? Yeah. And I have to pay. I, I have guess, to pay. Yeah. I have to pay five dollars a pound, and I'm paying for the bones. You know, because you can usually get like what boneless chicken skinless breast for like one nineteen a pound or something like that, right? Yeah. So if your costs are going up three x, but you can't raise your prices, how? I could, but I wouldn't have any business. Right. Yeah. There's. <laughs> yeah. There's a certain. You, you lose customers at a certain. I don't price pay point. myself. That's that's the answer, right? Okay. So I just I just haven't had a paycheck since we've reopened. And that so I mean that seems stupid, uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how sustainable is that for how long? Well, if I start, if I were to sell out every night, right, I could get myself a paycheck. Yeah. Okay. So it's a but volume it's, thing. it's the Wednesdays and Thursdays where I do five hundred dollars a night in sales. And it's like, well, there goes there goes my check this week. Yeah. I mean, how that's big, rough. Yeah, for sure. How big is the team? It's just me and Oliver. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. That is uh, this is difficult. I mean, no one wants to imagine you not getting paid doing delicious. I food. still love what I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I'm like, my belly's full, right? And I, right. I rent my, I write my rent check from the business, and so yeah. like, my bills are paid. But like, you know, there's, there's nothing extra at the end of the month. Yeah, I mean, are there ways that, I mean, obviously stuff like this helps get the word out, of course. But are there things that you're thinking of, like, as far as yeah, like approaches to sell out those slower nights. Or do you think about doing like more, <clears throat> like having one pasta on there that is like well, something so you find on a rosebud menu? Wednesdays or? we do spaghetti meatballs. Okay, cool. Um, and so that was when it first started. It was like you know we'd sell thirty, forty a night, and yeah. that was great. And uh, but that was also before the prices increase and then and then now it's kind of tapered out but i still feel like that drives some business on wednesdays because i feel like yeah. wednesdays would be dead if we didn't have it um we're talking about doing chicken farms every thursday okay i love a chicken farm yeah mm-hmm. those were really good yeah but you know it's each bird cost me almost twenty dollars yeah so that means that chicken farm cost me like ten dollars to make and yeah i sell it for 16 yeah, and if you were doing like a twenty five percent cost, you'd be charging forty bucks. And if you were right. doing, you know, right. And the only way that like a place that <clears throat> does a chicken farm on the regular can get away charging only nineteen is that they they use that dollar nineteen a pound chicken. Yeah, the chicken's they, different. 
they order in all the product. They probably even order in the cutlet already done up, right? Yeah, for being wild. honest. Like, yeah. There's no prep in there. They just yeet it into the fryer, top it with cheap cheese, and and it's good, right? Because it's like it's fried chicken with yeah, cheese it's a comfort. on top. Yeah, it doesn't it's a matter food. what quality it is. It's going to be fine. No, but I think that's an interesting thing to explore. Like, I mean, this would be good for the next taste test. Using oh, like. Yeah. Using the nice chicken that is five dollars a pound versus the dollar nineteen stuff, right? And how different that flavor really is. Does it taste four times better? Probably not. No, but does it taste somewhat better? If so, is marginally. That worth it? And, you know. But but also the other cost behind that is like, where did that chicken come from? Mm-hmm. Right. There's like the ethical, moral, and and, and we don't necessarily take that cost immediately. No, as consumers, but. But we will eventually, right? If we stop supporting these farms, then all there will be available is $1.19 a pound chicken. Yeah. Or, or, you know, there'll be a few small farmers that still keep doing what they're doing. You know, people like me who were like, fuck it, I don't care about money. Let's just do what we think is right. And uh, and those, those people start selling their chickens for like $40 a pound because there'll be like three of them nationwide. Mm-hmm. And they'll be able to, right? Because there'll be people who still want to eat that way. Yeah. That is fascinating. And then... Just to go back for a second, earlier you talked about cooking in canola oil versus cooking in duck fat. Are mm-hmm. there people that are like, there's obviously different you can types definitely of oils. taste that difference. No, for sure. But yeah. are people, so is canola oil like the standard, not olive oil, not Well, it's, yeah, it's fats, either like, you know. it's like canola or vegetable or soybean. It's all the same, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But olive oil, I think you're canola cool is with. probably the worst, though. <laughs> Olive oil is great because that's pressed from olives. Olives, yeah. It's not. It's not a seed oil. It's the seed oils. That, like even flaxseed oil is not that great. Yeah. Even though it's sell, sold in the health bottles and they're like, oh, it's high in omega threes, but it's astronomical in omega sixes. Hmm. Yeah, olive that, oil's also got a low burning temperature, right? Most olive oils. Yeah. You can find some higher smoke point olive oils. Um, we have an olive oil that we do saute in. Uh, it sensitive right like Mm -hmm. you can't rip it like you do other oils um beef fat you can get up to 400 degrees and it's no problem um duck fat can get pretty hot it all depends on how clean you know if there's like particles in the oil then it's Mm going to burn faster so like the pomace olive oil which is like super dirty you would never want to fry in that because it's just going to burn right away um, our drizzle olive oil, we couldn't fry in that, but right. we have a we have we have drizzle and sizzle olive oil. So the sizzle <laughs> olive oil we can fry in. It's a single varietal, and then the the, the drizzle one we can't really cook in. Yeah, yeah, I remember learning about that from Soho House did an event with um, the nutritionist for the Blackhawks, mm-hmm. and yes, they do get a ring. The nutritionist gets a ring when they win nice. the Wow. Cup. Yep. I did not think that they would. And uh, that makes the, sense. Like, they're yeah. probably pretty important. <laughs> yeah, to the I team. totally. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. And uh, like the big takeaway I took from that was like, olive oil should really be for drizzling. Most yeah. olive oils for drizzling for like dressings and things like that, and you right. really don't want to heat that unless it's a very special kind. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. For the general rule is you don't cook with olive oil. Yeah, and I would say like there's not an olive oil on the shelf. Not a pure olive oil on the shelf at a grocery store that you would want to cook in. Hmm. So you're the right guy to ask this question to. When I go, oh, we go through a ton of olive oil. I finally just started buying like the tins and I've got like mm-hmm. a dispenser. Like that's an overwhelming aisle. What should people look for when buying olive oil? I wouldn't go to the grocery store to buy olive oil. 
Okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, damn it. That's not. Where should we? Where should we go? Well, wait. I like want to go back to like consumer. not cooking in olive oil. So like, if you're putting some something down, it's going to cause you put inflammation, in, right? Isn't before you put idea? like which one? Olive oil. If, if you're past the smoke point, like then once well, it once becomes like a carcinogen. Right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Interesting. And so your like, body, so like you the FDA has that. regulations on like carcinogen levels. Cause they're like recalls on drugs all the time because it's I mean, the, you sear a steak, like, you're putting carcinogens in. There, right, right. But like those so. small amounts, if, but there is like an inflection point where it's like, this is where you shouldn't consume it. Like there's a safe consumption. Probably. Level. And I think, I think we're well below that because as soon as, it's, mm-hmm. as soon as olive oil smokes, it tastes like shit. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. That's, I mean, if you're like making an egg and you're only supposed to like, what are you putting down? Butter, bacon fat every time, olive oil. Butter. Yeah, I do butter, butter for an egg, clarified okay. butter. Where do you, what's your butter? Do they sell it at the grocery store? Mm, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. Like Kerrygold. Oh, Kerrygold. Yeah. Irish. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's grass fed. Yeah, we use Kerrygold. I like Kerrygold. Uh, Kerrygold but I don't house. use that every time because that's. Are you always salty. salted butter or unsalted? Unsalted. Yeah. Yes, always unsalted. I always, always go unsalted. I always go salted. My well, dad is always salted, and I'm like, I've never bought salted butter. In my so life. my mom is salted, and she says because she likes the way it tastes on toast. Which is fair. Okay. Um, here's why I don't do salted butter. How much is butter a pound? A lot right like now. Like Kerrygold's like what? $10 a pound or yeah, something, something like that? Yeah. Probably. So you're paying $10 a pound for salt. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess I have to yeah. change how my behavior. How many pounds of butter do you have to go before you get to a pound <laughs> of salt? I don't know. But. Yeah. I'm more curious now about how I've been cooking things in olive oil, and I guess I should not be. Why not? Well, Just don't like... burn it. Yeah. Yeah. Eggs, you got to keep it low level. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. Eggs, yeah. eggs, you don't cook too hot. Yeah. Like, you know, you wouldn't want to sear a steak in olive oil. I got, I don't. I'm Are you scrambling your eggs? I know you're not, you're not doing anything with the soft yolk. No, for, yeah, exactly. For Ali, I got No, I'm not. No, I'm usually like over easy for myself, over hard for Ali. Um, but yeah, that's interesting. Never cook or. Generally speaking, I guess the philosophy of don't cook. I think that's the problem too with cooking is there's too many generalizations. (laughs) Every product is individual. So you can't just say, hey, cook that turnip like a carrot. Right. That might work out okay. Right. But you can't say, cook that zucchini like a carrot. You're going to hammer that zucchini. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, I feel like I saute most of my vegetables in olive oil. That should be fine as long as you're not like looking for real hard color. Yeah. If you're looking for real hard color, use animal fat or clarified butter. Okay. Yeah. Because like for meats and fish and stuff, I do butter. Right. What kind of pan? I mean, cast iron. Depending. Are you doing? Are you mostly cast iron? Yeah. Okay. I got uh, I got a set of all clad. My sister got me a set of all like really nice stuff, and I'm like, this is the worst. I was cleaning it, scrubbing it with like barkeeper's friend. Yeah. Daily, (laughs) and then I I saw like a reel on instagram where it's like you have to heat it to a certain temperature mm-hmm. to, yeah before you yeah, because pour, it's porous, yeah exactly pour oil yeah and like you have cool to do the splash with and, water and if the water yeah, the droplets beads, dance yeah, exactly that has changed my life yeah I, why don't they tell you that when you buy the all class <laughs> that is actually something i just learned too uh-huh. every yeah. time i'm doing the water droplets i haven't had a problem i'm yeah. cooking eggs like a champ <laughs> and saving that hours is of cool my when life the water droplets do the dance thing yeah, yeah. and they don't evaporate yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm like stainless or cast iron generally. Yeah, that's I all s- you should really cook in. Yeah, I we use aluminum because it's stuff. cheap and I can't afford stainless. Yeah, um, but we don't make any like, like all our sauces. Anything that has to cook for a while is in steel. Okay. And I just don't think that aluminum is the best thing to cook in. But we do use aluminum for some of our stuff just because. 
Yeah. We haven't gotten to the point of replacing all our pots and pans. Soon. I have to replace our Le Creuset Dutch oven because my dogs pulled it off. Did I tell you about this? Yeah, day? and it came off. The, yeah. Our, so we, we made dumplings, and we had, like, the broth sitting on the counter on the stove. And it was just, we had a ladle in there, so the top was off, like, maybe a half of an inch. But it was just enough that when we left the house, our dog could get his claw in there. And he pulled the whole thing off the counter, broke the Le Creuset, cracked on the side like the liberty bell yeah and splashed this broth 10 feet right. up on a white wall <laughs> so we've got i have to like i still haven't gotten to the top of it yet. i had to like order like melamine sponges like the magic eraser things i have uh -huh. to like bring a ladder into the apartment it's just like just a disaster the dogs okay and everything though uh, they've had some goofy uh, yeah. bowel movements the past week or so. <laughs> Poor thing. Yeah, they are their own worst enemies. Following the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was glad that. Uh, and the thing is, like, they did most of the cleanup. So when I came home at first, I didn't realize right away. And then I was like, "Hey, wh wasn't there a pot on the stove? Yeah, pot broken. Yeah. And then I looked up. There's like shallots stuck to the wall. Oh my god. <laughs> so we kind of skipped some stuff uh, to get to flower power, but before that. You went from Longman, and mm -hmm. you were at Schwa for a time. Yeah, there was a couple things in between there. Um, Elizabeth, when opened up Elizabeth. How was that? That was fun, interesting. You know, we started out doing the whole uh, three communal tables with three separate menus. And like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was... That's intense. That was silly. <laughs> How many did each table seat? Was that like Diamond? Like and I think, yeah, Diamond, Deer, and Owl. Yeah. 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 So I think there were each 10 tops. Wow. And then I think there was a two top that could be like any one of the menus, but was like a more intimate. Yeah. yeah. And hmm. I think that's how it went. I don't know, it was like 2013, right? Wow. And so, then left there and went to Schwa as a cook. Yeah. Uh, I worked there for about a year as a cook and left. Were you there when Maddie was there? No. Okay. I think I think I left or got there right after he had left. Okay. Uh, and Carlson was around when you were there. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he's still around. Yeah. I guess. But out. like more, you know, because we just caught up with Maddie kind of recently. Yeah. And it seems like, I mean, he, he's obviously around, but like he was with you in the kitchen when you were there or no? Yeah. I mean, as much as any chef is. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, you know, he's got his daughter, and, and so, like, you know, I would get in and open. He would always be there at the beginning of service. You know, yeah, He would always be cool. there to make sure shit was right. But I think at a certain point, he was like, all right, shit's right. I don't need to be here, you know? Yeah. And I think that was that was a good feeling for me. How did those two tasting menu experiences compare? Like, Elizabeth, or Elizabeth obviously, was multiple, but the two They were formats. really similar, right? Really? Because, because they both worked for Grant. Okay. And so there was, like, a lot of that influence. And then I think Elena really uh, held Michael in, like, really high regards. And, and I think she had staged in his kitchen a few times. Um, so there was a lot of kind of crossover. And a lot of the techniques were somewhat similar. Like, it's like, oh, this was something that happened at Trio. Or, yeah. You know, like, so you could see see things. But they, they, they definitely each had their individual voice. How did a menu go from, you know idea to execution at both places mm, so at elizabeth it was more of the like okay we're not having service for two days we're gonna prep everything up taste everything you know and then new menu change right and did everyone like, contribute dishes did it all come from the top um it was mostly a start uh, like the 
Dear Diamond, Al, that was all Elena. Um, towards the end there, I was starting to put a few dishes on. And I think like some of the food started to become more, more of what I had seen. I don't know how to describe it really, but like th- th- I had more, more influence on the menu at yeah. a certain point. And, uh, and I think that was kind of like when we had switched over to the more standard format of like one tasting menu for everybody, two tops, four tops. And, you know, we had gotten a new psalm and, so things kind of like were, Elena was very involved still where, you know, Schwa, when I had come back to be the chef's cuisine, um, about, there was about a year break in between there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was, it was kind of similar to how Elizabeth was at first where it was like, you know, Mike would have an idea and we'd talk about it and maybe I'd like construct part of it and then he'd kind of help finish it or, or vice versa. And, uh, and then after, after, basically after the whole menu had changed over once, it was more of like, hey, chef, I have this dish. You want to try it? And then, and then he'd give his input, and then it would hit the menu. And, and so Elizabeth was more of like, the whole menu changed all at once. At Schwa, it was like, okay, we're, we can't get this product anymore. we got to change this. Or I'm tired of cooking this. Let's change that. You know? and, and so it was, never, it was never like a whole menu change all at once, which I prefer. It's kind of... Yeah, more gradual. Yeah, it's really it's really scary to do an entire menu all at once. And you're like, well, how many of these aren't going to work out, you know? And yeah, when was the last? Have you eaten at Schwa anytime recently? Mm-mm. No, not since I left. Uh, Alice stopped by uh, just the other day, and so you know, I don't know if you heard about what happened with one of their cooks. Oh yeah, that was awful. It, so mm-hmm. it, it sounds like Michael's like been there, you know, helping out. Um, so Alice stopped by and said hi and. We do have to get in there sometime and go say hi to them all. I got to bring them staff meal too. Yeah, they, it's always an incredible experience over there. Yeah. I haven't been for a minute either. I've still never <clears> been to Schwa, <throat> but oh, I've man. heard a lot of stories about Schwa. It's incredible. Was it pretty crazy back in the day working? I think the there was a point, like maybe when I had mer- first moved to the city or maybe like right before then, that it was a little bit more rambunctious. Um, <laughs> when I was there, yeah, I guess it was like a little crazy, but it wasn't like I don't know. It wasn't that bad. Crazy in what way? Like I know I, the idea. Yeah, is I guess define crazy, right? Yeah, like you bring booze for the kitchen, right? When you come in, wasn't that like kind of? Oh, I mean, if I that's mean, crazy, that... we're <laughs> fucking wild. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's right, not crazy. What... I think like maybe some of the. But perhaps that was a catalyst. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to speak out of turn, but some of like the and again, yeah, it probably wouldn't sound that crazy today, but some of the the drug culture i think like people working shifts not fully uh coherent but that's, that's sober that's coherent every restaurant yeah yeah that's not yeah fair enough that's not i think it was unique. more just a tale at schwa and also like michael was a, right. a very yeah i remember like the fireworks disturbance that that story that eater picked up like a long time right ago. and i think that's also part of it too is eater likes to like yeah, they'll embellish <laughs> and throw people in the bus. Any sort of headline. Be a bunch of shit talkers. So. <laughs> Real instigators. Uh-huh. No, but I think it wasn't, my impression of it wasn't negative. It just sounded like really fun and that something yeah, really cool was happening. Right. And that there it, was like had, real we chemistry. Fun. Yeah. It wasn't, it it wasn't like, like It wasn't like, it wasn't the We weren't bad stuff. guys. Yeah, we weren't, was... yeah, we definitely weren't abusive. There was nothing like criminal except for some misdemeanor fireworks. Like, yeah. No, mm-hmm. I just remember like seeing 
the crew would come into the Whistler, Michael would come to the Whistler, and it would just be fun and yeah, looking to have a good time. And and you know what, we could handle ourselves yeah. really well. Yeah, like for the amount of consumption we would do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were pros. <laughs> yeah. Um, so wait, after Schwa, after you're the chef de cuisine there, then what? Mm-hmm. Then uh, then I had my second child, and so I was like, oh, I need to get insurance, and uh, that still hasn't happened, but. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I started looking for like other, uh, other sides of this industry. So you know, there's this. You can be a chef and not have to work in a restaurant, right? Yeah, like, Gabe. So I was, I was like looking for, um, you know, like a, a, a corporate thing, right? Like yeah. a cafeteria or whatever. And and it turns out that they only want to hire like cafeteria chefs for cafeterias. Hmm. Yeah, weird. And <laughs> so I kept just getting pushed into the fine dining chef roles in the, you know, yeah. $50,000 a year with minimal insurance kind of things. I'm like, this isn't what I want. I mean, yeah, I think you should, I mean, we could point out the irony of how a lot of the fine dining places uh, do not pay as well as, they're, like, they're they, the they, worst. Yeah, they're they the cater to the, yeah. they cater to the, like, most, well, it's, you know, well-off it's, clientele. They subsidize the, yeah. the riches fund by taking advantage of passion. Yeah. Is, is there a justification that it's a springboard for the, their career or how do they That's justify exactly it? it? Yeah. They say, oh, well, you have a career after this. Like, well, but I'm in poverty right now. Yeah. I don't have a life. Right. Like, and, I, can, and I can't afford $10 an hour at 36, an hour, 36 mm-hmm. hours a week. Like, yeah. $800 paychecks every two weeks isn't going to cut it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that's what, you know, and that, that, I didn't get that at Schwa. I got well beyond that at Schwa. Um, Michael takes care of his employees very well and I don't pay that right like I know what that feels like so I would not put someone else through that passion or whatever like bullshit bullshit. Mm -hmm. and that's like the whole justification between and I know that I'm maybe not in good company saying this but the the justification of between front of the house and back of the house pay disparity right like it's like oh well the front of the house all they can ever do is be a server Right, so there's no career after that. Whereas, like you cooks, you have a career after. It's like, no, you can be a career server just fine, and lots of people do it, and they make a pretty good living. Yeah, Um, but there's no no such thing as a career line cook. The forty year old line cook, that guy's a joke. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's what's a possible solution? Well, I think getting rid of tips. Yeah, just abolish tips. Period. Get rid of the whole federal like tip minimum wage thing. Yeah, I remember there's. There was a movement for that mm-hmm. um, a few years ago. Yeah, sure. Danny like, Meyer. Danny Meyer, I think, kind of tried to it, do right? it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it goes back to like how you educate the consumer because then people are going to be like, oh, I don't want to have to, you know, maybe the service wasn't good. I don't want to have a built-in tip or whatever, or, or the prices have X amount added to it so you don't tip at the end. Right. But from like a diner's perspective, I like the idea of that. Because I don't same like dollar at the end of the day. Right. Nobody wants to do the math at the end of the meal. And yeah, the built in is just easier. I think, I think we all feel the same way. Like, <laughs> it's so easy when you go somewhere and it's like, I mean, I had takeout last night and it's just like the tip question comes up at the end of your takeout order. Like, it's just like the takeout already is not inexpensive. And then you're like feeling obligated to tip on top of the takeout order. And, you just like feel uncomfortable like yeah we all go through it all the time but it always feels uncomfortable currently the reality of the situation is that we tip yeah right and that's the only way that business can survive 
And until that changes, we should still tip. It's just, yeah, it's awkward. It's very it, awkward. It, it creates this like huge pay disparity, which creates animosity. Right. right? Yeah. And then, you know, it's like 20% of a restaurant's revenue isn't even going into the restaurant's hands, right? Mm-hmm. Like that money that's exchanged between the server, right. like 20% of that just stays with the employee. And mm-hmm. it's like, how is a business supposed to manage funds appropriately when 20% of it it's th- isn't, even, top, isn't yeah. even allocated to them, mm-hmm. right? It's like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I mean, it's co- like mentally in a flower power type situation, it's cool leaving a tip because you know that it's all back of house. Any Like, it's right. all... Well, yeah, we, we it set it up really so matter. there was no front of the house exactly. intentionally. Yeah, but I'm saying so that is a situation that it wouldn't feel awkward. And perhaps, you know, I was wrong even speaking about last night because maybe the tip on the takeout goes to back of house to change that disparity who knows but just as a consumer i have no idea and i'm always like uh you right. know it's just awkward and, or who knows maybe the owner's pocketing it here's a tip sure, etiquette question for you guys packaged goods for example you go to a wine shop yeah you buy a nice bottle of wine and then there's you check out and there's a tip option and like in my mind i'm like well it's a package it's like going to a shop and i'm like then i'm like well they did like kind of recommend a wine it's for what tough, i was looking man. for it's... like do you tip, but is that a 20% tip? Is that a, like, it's impossible. It's well, just... the, but this stuff has to be talked about. <laughs> like we all commiserate on yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, in, but I think internally, to like, point, this is, these are the realities that we live in today. If that is to change, uh, then great. Like then we'll live in. The, yeah. There are certain new world. realities. Like, like when yeah, I, if I go to the out... supermarket and if, if in the future there's a, a tip option at the supermarket, it's going to not feel sweet. I think there is <laughs> yeah. a, like, Foxtrot. I'm, I could be making that up. Yeah. But I, I feel like I've had that. Yeah. Where's the line? Like, does Mariano exactly. start putting a tip? Exactly. Or, right. or... Yeah. I could have a whole tip episode. Yeah. Oh, My mentality just, was just like, tip. oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's a tough thing to get into. I yeah. think like with a supermarket, and I have not thought this through at all, but there's so many items that they have the opportunity to mess with margins on by like mm-hmm. a nickel here, a quarter there that they could, so they charge in theory, a fix. dollar for a potato. How much it, did that potato cost them in reality? Exactly. Like so cents? you feel like they could adjust things such that they're taking care of their staff. Whereas but, when you're buying a single bottle of wine and the shop is possibly dead and the person spends 10 minutes walking you through what you should do and you like their recommendation, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Like there's customer. I can imagine there. that there's a reason that you would feel okay giving a tip. But it's all place to place, and but it but feels I'll, like you're forced now. Yeah, it does. Yeah, there's the it's expectation. Like, but like for takeout, I think since the pandemic, I tip at least twenty percent even on takeout because, or specifically for takeout because a lot of places dining rooms aren't full or right. people weren't. Yeah, doing but I think at the end in, of the day, if you're the... if you can afford to leave that twenty percent tip, you should because the money's going to mean more to people working in the industry than probably you. And that's kind of my mentality when I do it. Um, but it doesn't mean it always feels good to do it. It's still awkward. A decent middle ground kind of workaround right now is a service charge. Mm. Because then mm. that's that belongs to the business. And then the business can allocate as they see appropriate. Yeah. Um, and that but, legally has to be communicated. Otherwise, you're in hot water. Right. Yeah, I, I think you can say know. service like, charge. It just says right. service. This is a service charge, right? right. It's yeah. 20 as long as it's printed it on but your you receipt. But you don't have to say yeah. where that goes. Yeah. You can no, you say that's put on the receipt, help, though, or whatever. Yeah. 
But you don't have to say, you know, oh, I'm doing this so I can pay my employees. Yeah. <clears throat> Correct. Yeah, I think that should go without saying. <laughs> well, and I think it's that's up to the employee whether or not they feel like they're compensated appropriately. And right. if they feel like they're not, then go find a job where you find like you feel like you are appropriate. Yeah, right. Appropriate. So has, you know, the workforce specifically in hospitality has been difficult since the pandemic with people leaving the industry. Um, how has that given workers more say over what they can earn or how does how is that compensated on the owner operator level i mean i feel like wages have gotten a lot better uh and equalized a little bit more just in our Between own the two yeah yeah just in our own group yeah um which is obviously a good direction mm-hmm. but i think to wilson's other points it's at the end of the day like you're running a business and when a bunch of money is yeah i mean it's just the margins are what they are and uh yeah yeah like if you're paying everyone more money obviously the price of what you're charging has to go up right and then the consumer's like why am i paying x amount more all of a sudden you're like well you're helping to facilitate a more equitable working environment and minimum wage has gone up but how does that isn't restaurant always paid more than minimum yeah but restaurant minimum wage is different right because aren't tips factored in yeah but we make sure that like we see we know we have an idea of what, because people declare tips, like right. what people are making on an hourly breakdown and people are well over that. Yeah. But how, work. like, how is that, is it two different minimum wages? Yes. Like there's a different one for the yeah. hospitality. The, a, yeah. the, a tipped employee is around 10 and a non-tipped employee is like over 15. Yeah. It's okay. like 15, 17. Depending on the size of the business. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. When we were running the factory and we were producing shirts, we we're trying to figure out like, is it better to do hourly rates? Or do we incentivize production by doing piecework so you could people can earn as much as they want and we always make sure that no one trickles below minimum wage. But it's always a trade-off. Like when you have to factor in like how that person takes charge of their earning or if, if there's like the motivation to do that. So it's, it's really tough to manage people with different personalities. And that was, a, that was one of the hardest things for me running the factory was like, how do we make sure people are compensated and like, enjoying what they're doing or feel like they can be part of a team but also have these like individual metrics is really really difficult to navigate yeah um this podcast is brought to you by geneva danny what is geneva well tim i'm glad you asked geneva is a european spirit with a wide range of flavors and lots of personality it always uses malt spirit and juniper and other botanicals, so some would place it somewhere between gin and whiskey. It can be floral and bright like gin or round and malty like whiskey. Whatever your preference, there's a Geneva out there for you. Even me? Even you, Tim. This campaign is financed with aid from the European Union. How did Flower Power end up coming to be? Um... Like at what point were you like, all right, I'm doing it? Yeah, so we were doing doing the uh, doing pop ups at my house. Yeah, because the Chicago Washington thing for a little while. Because I was like, well, I'm not making money and I can't find a corporate thing. So we gotta start doing this, and that kind of seemed like that progression for the kind of chef that I was becoming. Of like, you know, you do your put in your dues, then you kind of do like a little pop up thing, and then and then you hopefully find an investor, and then they buy you a restaurant right mm-hmm. or however that goes i'm not sure yeah. <laughs> and uh 
And so, so we did the pop-ups and, and then that ended, um, because, you know, I got lost, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Tell, yeah. So all of a sudden yeah. everyone, uh, on social media was putting up posts right. about yeah, where I just, I just hopped on a train and went back home. I and didn't tell anybody. So, <laughs> how many Which days was in, it until? In, well, so the it train out. was supposed to be like a two-day ride, but then we got stuck behind like some shipping thing, and so it ended up being like three and a half days. Or so something. three and a half days so, where no one knew where you were. Right. How many messages did you? <laughs> people were actively searching. <laughs> were people texting? Like, was your I phone? Had my phone, yeah. All right, I, so. I, Dished my phone. Did you keep that number? Like, eventually, did you turn I that phone? I still have that phone, yeah. All right, so yeah. you turned it on and saw how many messages? I don't know. Hundreds? No, because my phone was here in Chicago, and it had been opened. So I didn't have any messages when I got home, really. Got it. Um, you know, because when I got back home to Seattle, it was like, hey, here I am. Guys, I don't know. Because I, I, also, I also didn't know any of that was going down because I didn't have my phone, right? So, <laughs> That's got to be so surreal I'm to have. I'm just in the middle of America just like watching all these cornfields go by and then I land in Seattle. Oh my God. Meanwhile, well, people the, were relieved. The, Chicago yeah, hospitality I'm pretty sure I scared a bunch meltdown. of people, yeah. whatnot, which was not good, but whatever. But you're here. Happy ending. And, yeah, happy yeah, ending. Happy sure. ending. Wait, so... Yeah, how did you come upon that space for Flower Power? We just were looking for spaces. Um, you know, I came back to Chicago, and I was like, well, I need to... You know, I, I, I got a job at Cafe Marie Jean just to, like, you know, keep paying bills and stuff. And then, um, and I was, you know, I told him, I was like, hey, I got to gotta find some work, you know, that's, like, more of what I want to do in my levels. And, and Were uh, you testing pastas over at CMJ? No. No, because I had three concepts at the time that I kind of wanted to like, that I'd be happy to do. And it really depended on what the space was. What are well. the other um, two? Um, so one of them was like a, I guess it was kind of similar to a Cafe Marie Jean, but less restaurant, more retail. So almost more like a Foxtrot, I guess. Okay. So like sandwiches and soups. And then just, you know, like jars of confit and, you know, pepper sauces and whatever, like stuff yeah. that we sell retail. Right. And so there's that one. Um, and then, and then the flower power concept, which was uh, borrowed from a chef in Seattle, uh, Il Corvo, okay. a place out there. Uh, you know, they almost identical is what I took from them. Like you know, three pastas, um, real small space, chef driven. Um, and then, what was the third concept? It was. I forget what the third one was. Does it, well, it must not have been that good. No. Oh, fine dining, right? Because yeah. that's what that's, that's what, what I did. was good at, yeah, right? Yeah. That's what I'd done for 10 you years. Do so that I was like, well, sleep. if I find the right space and the right investors, I guess I'll just do this. Yeah. Um, and then how did you like work on your pasta making bona fides? Where did you learn everything? Well, that's, that's a funny story. Um, so, you know, like working fine dining, you get a pretty diverse profile of things you have in your wheelhouse. And, and pasta is usually one of those things that ends up on almost every menu, at least one course. And so I thought to myself, well, it's just pasta. It can't be that hard. Yeah. Right? And then getting into it, when we first opened, turns out when you do 30 of one thing, it's not that hard. But when you have to start doing 100 of one thing, it's a little more of a challenge. And then additionally, I've never worked with an extruder before flower power. Um, and that was a whole new skill set to learn 
and I did not realize that. I like instead of just, rolling out pasta, you mean like an extruder? So, so shaping pasta and extruder is simple. You just put the dye in, boom. But oh. it's the after it's shaped that's like becomes like a challenge. And then and there's not a lot of information about it online. It's almost like this like secret that the gate gatekeepers hold. Hmm. And it's like you have to dry pasta. It, you can't extruded pasta. You have to dry. So the semolina water that gets pushed through an extruder, you have to dry it. You can't serve it straight away. Hmm. And it's there's a cookbook, uh, Mark Vetri. He's out in Philly, and uh, he's like a pasta master, right? And so it, it's it's something to do with the time and temperature at which you let the pasta rest will help form this like gluten net within the dough. And I didn't realize that at first, and so I was just you know 3 p.m. I got service at five. I better start extruding, Let's extrude pasta for the day, go and cook it into service. And I'm like, yeah, this isn't that good. Like it was falling apart or just kind of gummy, just like it would huh, cook the within gluten seconds. Wasn't yeah. It was just huh. like, it was like if you cooked a loaf of bread in water, <laughs> that does not like this good. is not great. So what's Why? the drying process look like? It depends, right? Yeah. It depends on how you want to, how fast you want to get there, the quality, what you're, what you're trying to achieve. Right. So like the box stuff, like the blue boxes at the grocery store, yeah. those are dried within a day. Right. And they're super fast, low humidity, lots of air movement, high temperature like really really nice like properly dried uh it's like lower temperatures like somewhere around 50 degrees 50 60 degrees hmm. S- relatively high humidity like a 60 to 70 percent humidity which is pretty pretty high yeah mm-hmm. pretty thick and uh and good airflow so that it doesn't mold right because that those temperatures and humidity if you leave something wet out it's gonna mold so you have to keep airflow around it. Hmm. which is hard to achieve right because and then that, are you f- like if the pauses are all laying this way do they dry and then you flip them all over or do they just dry in one place? It helps if you flip them and kind of move them around and make wow. sure they're not touching and all. But but you can get away with just leaving them on the rack. Um, I've found that a my my region does a pretty, pretty good job. It's, hmm. it's almost ideal. It's yeah. a little cold and a little dry, but, but close enough. Seems seems about right. Um, so I just leave it in my cooler. I'll, I'll typically leave it out on the counter for about four four to six hours, and then I'll leave it in the cooler overnight. And that seems to kind of give it that like that that bounce that chew that yeah. you're looking for in a good noodle. But then also, uh, you know, like a box of Checo, uh, uh, like spaghetti takes what like eight minutes to cook, yeah. whereas my spaghetti only takes four minutes, five minutes because it's not fully shelf stable dry. Like hmm. you still have to keep it refrigerated, but it's dried to the point where and and, and cured to the point where the gluten's kind of formed that net wow. to give you that that yeah. texture instead of just mushing now are you aware of like this uh tomato uh combating the gl- gluten formation in bread Mm-mm. <laughs> do you remember this this game i just want to like, be stranded here sure don't give me any <laughs> help there. i will remember exactly no what basic was yeah was, basically there's a gotcha right with tomato yeah. in it but it wasn't like it basically affects the the dough like, like the it doesn't i guess like something about the tomato makes yeah like, like tomato ruins, and ginger i think were the two mentioned yeah ruins like hmm. the the structure of the dough mm-hmm. so when you try to bake the bread off it's like all messed up weird because tomato yeah and maybe ginger yeah uh yeah this there was, are a lot of this was uh sarah talking about this right i th- yeah. think so sarah yeah. miss bagel loose bader yeah she probably knows right? yeah she was talking yeah, yeah, we yeah. were talking about loaf lounge and 
Anywho, um, yeah, it is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Are there other... That episode will be out by the time. Yeah, it's not even insane. out yet. Yeah. <laughs> just going deep. <laughs> But I, I think that, like, there are just yeah, nuances. Yeah, there's secrets, like, for like, sure, yeah. You, right. Like, for fried rice, you like have to have yeah. dry rice. So when I make a rice dish, I make extra rice, and then I spread it out on a sheet pan, and I leave it on the counter for five hours so it dries out. Then I stick it in the fridge, because if you try to make fried rice with... A, Too gummy. With Yeah, exactly. It's going to stick together. It's mm-hmm. going to clump. Yeah, I yeah. Related to that, is it always the same like flour water mixture? Is there flour water salt? Sometimes you use an egg in there. So I don't put any salt in my pasta doughs. Um, I I feel like it makes some people do, and so like you know someone will argue this the opposite, but I feel like it affects the gluten. I feel like yeah. it makes it too soft. Same thing with olive oil. Um, I read that Buford book forever ago where he like learns how to make. Uh, pasta in italy and he learns that like at some point they're like there's an egg right like putting an egg in the and that's like pff, like his and so like our stuffed doughs or like the popperdell or, or taglatelle um the fresh egg noodles we we those ones we roll out okay and so um those are an egg and double zero uh all our flour for pasta comes from italy um for two reasons one, they're, they've got that grind dialed in. They okay. will always have the best grind on the, on the grain. Um, and then two, the way that a lot of wheat is processed in the United States is, is, is they grow as much as they can, mm-hmm. right? And then they, they dry it out the best they can. And the way they do that is they use chemicals, glyphosates, and, uh, and they store them. Right, and then they mill it as, and then it goes onto the shelves, and it sticks around for a couple of years, and, and so they have to use these chemical desiccants to make it shelf stable. And I think that those are bad for you. Yeah, the, Jared Van Camp used to talk about how people who thought they were gluten intolerant, they were just having. Uh, yeah, I got that theory, but I don't want to say that because people are going to come after you. Yeah, right. They're going to be like, oh, he's just a fucking pasta guy. And, mm-hmm. and no, the but theory? that's so the theory. Jared, I mean, Jared, I think is pretty outspoken about it. I think it. it's 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 that their parents, right? We all get our gut bacteria from our parents, right? When they give us a kiss, you know, it all comes from them, right? And I think that our parents and maybe even their parents have been eating grains that have been mistreated for so long that that bacteria in our gut, right? It's gone. Some people. Yeah. Or it wasn't it's not it's not evolved in the right way. And so so it gives gives to leading into the gluten. Yeah. Issues, so right? Jared had, I think they milled their own flour, and he said that even people who thought they were gluten intolerant, they had products made from his own milled flour, and right. they had no adverse reactions to it. It's no the, adverse reactions. To it's it. the way that we treat our grains. It's yeah. disgusting. It's really horrible. And I wish that we had another way to do it. There is another way to do it, and and it's just it's just more expensive and takes more work. Right? Yeah. My wife says that she feels sick or like bloated after eating pasta but not specifically pasta from italy right there's lots of people who say oh i went to europe and i was eating bread in france and i was eating pasta in italy but when i come back i can't eat it here and and i i strongly believe it's because it's how we treat yeah. our grains to, to be clear shan's never been to italy but she like like a shelf like a, a package oh, from, right, from right. italy yeah, yeah, yeah. like could that make sense absolutely Just, okay. well and so so italy what they do is you know because because you only harvest grains this grain once a year, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's winter wheat and, and whatever. But, um, you know, the semolina, the durum semolina gets harvested once a year. And then that lasts half the year. The other half the year, they have to bring it in from Australia. Hmm. Because they're not making the grain shelf stable. And so they can't, they can't store enough for an entire year. It would go bad. 
So they have to bring it in from the other side of the world where their growing season is the opposite. Hmm. Wow. That's interesting. This is all stuff. And we don't do that here because we make our grains shelf stable and they Mm -hmm. sit in silos for an entire year and then they get ground and then they sit on the sit on a store shelf for an entire year yeah it's tim's favorite and then yeah like, like why an, does this like pillsbury dough pasta. taste bad yeah <laughs> no it's interesting to think about um so do you recommend if you're going to the store to buy pasta do you recommend a fresh pasta as opposed to like a fully dried hard i think i think the fine okay that's what i would eat right that's that's okay yeah um i don't think you need to spend the extra dollars on the like the package does this in the refrigerated section. Yeah, that, like, that was my question. I, that's probably even worse than the check. I've never bought that stuff because I'm like, oh. I have, and I just sat in the fridge until it was until no it turned blue. good. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's make that pasta. Oh, oh, yeah. oh uh, well, are there any other things before we get to the yeah. lightning round that we yeah. did not cover? I had another question. Um, so uh, we did a white elephant Christmas exchange at my wife's family Christmas party over the weekend. I think there were like three different home pasta makers. Uh-huh. Are those? Have you ever worked with one of those? Like the little hand crank? Yeah, jammers? not like an attachment for like a kitchen. Yeah, I think like, like a, Atlas like... makes one that's pretty decent. That's what I used at the pop ups at my house. Okay, so it has your seal of approval, and you will it's fully not my endorse preferred it. <laughs> but yeah, it works. Okay, you know, for for its price, sure. Wow. Yeah, and then uh, lastly, or at least for me, last question for me before the lightning round: um, Are there mistakes that home cooks make? Um, that they should be aware of or like things that you, you know, for at home pasta making, no, just for at home cooking, I think, I think like common at home cooking mistakes or the biggest, they don't use enough salt. Yeah. That's probably the biggest one, right? Nobody uses the wrong salt. It's a mini use the wrong salt. Um, I think, I think really like it's like, it's like confidence, right? And it's like, it's like knowing how far you can go before something burns, right? And I think I think a lot of home cooks, like when they're told to sear something, they see a little bit of brown, and they're like, that's good. I don't want to burn it, right? Where it's like, why don't you try to burn that next time? See how far it actually goes before it burns, yeah. right? Or, or, oh, it says to season with salt and pepper. Season it a little too far next time. See how far it actually takes before it's too yeah. far, right? And then you'll find that, like, at least this was, like, my discovery when I was young is that, like, I can go a lot further than I thought I could with a lot of things, right? Yeah. With seasoning, with searing, with just everything the way, you know, you push it to that, just that limit. Hmm. Yeah. I think yeah. that's the big difference between like a home cook and a chef is that chefs know that they can sear something real hard and it won't burn. Yeah. Tim watches a lot of Salt Bay videos to hype himself up before he cooks. Sure. Before I do anything. Yeah. That is how you have to yeah. season. Yeah. Before I get out of bed, I'll take in... At least a couple dozen salt babies. Yeah, he's gotten carbol tunnel just from holding this uh, uh, the salt. <laughs> puts gold leaf on everything. Yeah. That reminds me, like in in sailing, the the like furthest you can get your sail before it's billowing, that's going to be the best wind. Right. But like that extra centimeter, you're going to be billowing and you're fucked. And it's ruined. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same as cooking. Hmm. Yeah, it really is. It's just hitting it to that limit. Yep. Yeah. All right. Cool. You want to well, hit that lightning round? The yeah. gratuity round. <laughs> I really want to keep asking more questions about food. I'm not doing any time yeah. crunch. Yeah. <laughs> Ask away. For it. It's my day off. Yeah. Oh, man. What else do I have? <laughs> um, like, oh, I have I, so I, many no, questions. <laughs> no, I, I actually did want to talk about you do have a 
you had the free meal program. Yeah, and, yeah, we were doing that during pandemic. Yeah, could you talk through that a little bit? Uh, kind of we just, you know, we, we would have cool. we would have like eight orders of something left over, right? So that's not enough for a full service, and uh, so we would just, you know, collect everything we had and be like, okay, I've got six orders of this, eight orders of that, and I would just sit there, cook on the stove, box them up, and then put them on a table out in front of the restaurant. People would walk by and just grab them, and then. I would, you know, bake off a loaf of bread. So we'd probably do like 20 to 30 meals every Monday, I think it was. And that was yeah. just during the pandemic. Cause, and, and we didn't necessarily like advertise it to like only people who were out of work or only people who really needed it. Because the way I was looking at it is like, it, pandemic sucked for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially restaurant workers, but it sucked for everybody. And so some people may just, you know, like not having to go home and worrying about what you're cooking for dinner is sometimes a really big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, and that can really like... Change someone's day. And I thought everybody right then in that time was just really having a really shitty day, right? And so I was just like, what can I do? And it's not that much extra work. I just put on a pot of boiling water. All my preps are... Like, I wasn't doing anything extra. Yeah. yeah. I was basically just cleaning out the cooler. And instead of, like, trying to repurpose it into something I could use or trying to just throw it out, I would give it away. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't, wasn't that big of a deal. I just thought it was something nice no, to do. No, that's awesome. I live four blocks from the restaurant, so I'm there more than I am at home. Yeah. Um, your kids love pasta? They do, yeah. What are their favorites? Uh, I think the youngest, his is a red sauce, and then the oldest, the oldest, yeah. I don't think I've had any red sauce from you. No, I don't think you've... I think I've had it. Have you had pasta from me? Yeah, yeah, for, I've had flower power. Oh, you have? Yeah. Have you come in? Can you yeah, produce had, the receipt as proof? proof? Yeah, yeah, No, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I did. I think I saw it. Like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I think probably I remember like a couple that. years ago. Yeah, 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 when we first opened. Yeah. Right, right. Probably wasn't I don't think, good, huh? No, it was good. Uh, <laughs> was There was like nothing in red sauce, so I feel. Well, yeah, we didn't. We started doing the whole red sauce thing because there was a night we uh, we had three meat dishes on. Okay. And so we're like, fuck, what are we going to do for the vegetarians? And, and it's one of those things that we've noticed where it's like, if we have... It's a good idea every night to have something that's like not polarizing. Yeah. It's something that everybody likes, like a vodka sauce or something right. that's something that's approachable. I think this will be the next thing that we get for if like Tim and Shannon come over, we're doing some food. Yeah, some for flower sure. power. After um, that after your pho experiment, I don't know if I'm coming over for food again. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Danny nice. botched a pho. Yeah, that Tim was recently telling me wasn't that bad, but no, now it was, I'm it was fine. It was fine. We just had to season the hell out of it. Yeah. Uh, one 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 last question here. Like, <laughs> <Not> so, <enough. laughs> seriously. Um, so you know, you have a lot of knowledge about food and um, vendors, seeds, farms, how things are produced. How how did you get your knowledge, and how could the how could somebody outside of the industry be tuned into maybe the ethics in the industry? Is there are there things you read? Is it books? Is there a blog? I mean, Omnivore's Dilemma. Is that's a good that's a good. That's probably good the best place point. to start. Okay. Um, Michael Pollan plug. Yeah, I think yeah. he's on I mean, the pod he's, next he's, week. He's amazing. <laughs> right? Uh, I'll yeah. be here for that. I think yeah. we're doing MDMA with him. <laughs> Dope. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's so I've always been into like growing plants. Like I had a garden in Pilsen when I lived there. There's just tomatoes and corn and everything. Um, when I lived in Seattle, I think the statute of limitations is up. I used to grow a lot of weed mm-hmm. and, uh, and so like, you know, you, you kind of like get this like connection with nature when you're like really caring for like a plant mm-hmm. and, uh, and you start to see things, especially when you like do it outdoors and you start to see the bugs and you start to see the microbiology like in the soil. 
And then you start to taste things, and then you start to realize, like, not only does it taste better, but it makes me feel better when it's grown this way. And then so you, like, you kind of, like, dig in deeper. You're like, well, why is it that most agriculture has grown the way it is? Mm -hmm. And you realize it's like, well, it's because people are lazy. You know, and there's a way to still grow crops to provide for restaurants in a way that's sustainable, regenerative, biodynamic, closed loop, all these things that like people don't practice anymore, which is the way that plants evolved. Like mm -hmm. no plant, well, some plants have evolved in like cultivation centers, but like for the most part, our nutrition evolved with us. Mm -hmm. And we start to see a lot of these like chronic diseases when we look back and it's like, well, now we started manipulating our plants. We stopped, we stopped using nature to feed our plants and we started feeding them these petroleum-based fertilizers. We started chelating all of the minerals in labs. And you start to realize that there's things that the plants are missing. And when those, when those plants that are our food are missing those things, we miss those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we're not getting the nutrition that we yeah. need. I think mm -hmm. there's also just short-sightedness where we aren't focused on preventative measures. We're focused on dealing with yeah. things after I'll treat cancer they become once a I get problem. It. Right. And then we could go into the whole healthcare industry and <laughs> big pharma <laughs> there. But I think well, that is, I think that is they're, they're the ones problem. that want us eating this crap, too. Right. Yeah. Um, what a right. great note to end <laughs> on. Yeah, well, yeah. Now, yeah, now it's the gratuity round, baby. Yeah. This episode of Joiners is brought to you by Stock Manufacturing, makers of fine hospitality workwear. You obsess over the details in your space, so why stop at your staff's uniforms? Stock has something for every aesthetic. From fine dining to a corner cafe, they've got you covered. Choose from in-stock ready-to-wear options or design the perfect custom uniform for your team. For more information, visit stockmfgco.com. Yep. All right. What is your death row meal? I should have prepared for this because I've listened to these. No, I like um, to hear people squirm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I guess, like, I mean, I would never want my mom to go through that experience, but anything my mom would cook would probably be pretty happy for me. I don't, it doesn't matter what the last thing you eat is. To you, it does. No, it doesn't. No, to me, it does. <laughs> yeah, the last thing you Any, eat. Anything that my mom would cook. What's really, your favorite like, dish from your mom? I mean, she's not a very good cook, but I just would want her to cook for oh, a long okay. time. You so know? you want something prepared with love. Right. That's beautiful. No one has yeah. said that yet. No one has. Setting, setting a new standard. All right. What's your favorite hidden gem restaurant? Um, I mean, I am a little biased. I think there's a pretty good one on Chicago Avenue. <laughs> <laughs> Other than Flower Bar. Um, that's a hard one, too, right? Because nothing's nothing that is gem is hidden anymore, right? Yeah. I mean, there's some... I mean, usually it's like a, a random ethnic spot yeah. that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, or... yeah. Um, boy, I haven't eaten out in forever. I don't know what that one would be. I do like going down to Pelican Quality Bread, but I don't think that's hidden, right? No, no. no. But that's a good it answer. Is a good that, one. Is, that is great. Yeah. I really do like their little ham sandwich thing. They're like daily sandwich that you just kind of No, it, it's like on. at 1 o'clock, they come out with like the little baguette with the oh, ham and butter right, sandwich. Yeah. Mm. That yeah. little latte, that's a nice afternoon treat. It is treat. also yeah. good. Very cool. All right. Favorite fast food? Mm. <laughs> Seems like the antithesis <laughs> of Wilson. No, no, I eat, I eat fast food. No, <laughs> yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like high and mighty on my horse and just being like, oh, you're all scum for eating this shit. Like, well, <laughs> I do think if you have a choice, right? 
maybe yeah. be more conscious about what's consumed. But yeah, like you'll catch me at McDonald's once a month. Okay. Nice. What's, what's your McDonald's um, order? I don't think McDonald's is my favorite though. Uh, I would say like, you guys ever been to Seattle? Yeah. Yeah, you Dicks. Dicks, yeah, yeah Dicks is Dicks great. Is probably my favorite. Yeah. What's Dicks? I lived in the U district. I was there for like a okay, summer. So right there on Forty Fifth. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah. Um, What's Dicks? And then it was like right Burgers? next to Queen Anne. Yeah, was okay. like Molly Moons is that ice cream place? Right. Like, that's yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of where I lived, like right around there. Okay, so I lived on the other side of that hill. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I worked at Duke's Green Lake Chowder House. Do you remember Ten Mercer? Wait. No way. Yeah, yeah. I worked at uh, Blue Water Greenland. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was like my first gig. What years? This was in 2008. Oh, okay, so I think I was already gone by then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's yeah, Dix like... is great. For Dix is good, yeah. It's, How many know, locations? Is it like a chain? Spine? Big chain? Yeah, there's, franchise? A, there's a handful of them. No, they're all in Seattle. I think they may have opened up one outside. It's like in Bellingham now or something. Yeah. That's different from the sporting goods. It uh, is much yeah. different. It's than like you know, it's three different cheeseburgers, right? There's a, or a cheeseburger, a deluxe, a supreme, French yeah, fries great. that are like cut right into the fryer. They're mm. not even double blanched, so they're super soggy and salty. But they use enough salt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not, Diamond crystal. Salt. <laughs> no, I think it's just iodized table. Yeah, honest, okay. but they use enough of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good answer. I think for the Midwest, though, Culver's is. There it is. That's what I was waiting for. Yeah, Tim was going to keep asking it's the best. again and again. Yeah. Yeah. We're yeah. working on a sponsorship deal with Culver's right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They can't afford us. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, Culver's really is hands down the best fast I'll go fishing here. a lot, and that's kind of like my thing when I'm out fishing. It's like When you're up in Wisconsin? Wisconsin or just in the suburbs out yeah. here. It's like, what are my choices? Taco Bell, Arby's, or Culver's? Yeah. I yeah, mean, Culver's is the best of those. Culver's. I mean, I don't hate Arby's well. curly fries. The no. seasoned curlies are top notch. That they have that's edible. That and the Jamocha shake. Hmm. I don't know the Jamocha shake. Yeah. Like Tim acts like a Jamocha. ounces of like frozen latte. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that ended up being a very gratifying uh, yeah. question. Yeah. You just wanted that Culver's validation. I, I need it. <laughs> he doesn't need Until it. you admit it, I need to hear it from everyone else. All right. Oh, uh, what's your favorite pasta shape? This will be psychoanalyzed, so okay, take your time. Right. The Fusilli Jerry. I don't know what that one is. <laughs> yeah, it's from Seinfeld. Seinfeld. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, maybe the Picari. What's really a Picari? It's like a it's like a tube. Yeah, yeah. it depends on how long I cut it, but it's like that big. It's it's like a it's like a rigatoni without the the riga the ridges. Oh, I gotcha. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, I think that's probably my favorite. Wow. Like rings? But it's like they have big rings. I mean, okay. Wow. Sometimes you'll see it served like calamari. You know, hmm. like the pasta rings cut in the same shape. Oh, wow. P-A-C-C-H-E-R-I. Yeah. yeah. It looks yeah. a bit like a rigatoni. Right. But he's saying without, without the ridges. ridges. Yeah. I didn't know that the riga was well, the ridges. I think you want those ridges right. to grab that sauce, don't depends. you? Depends. Okay. Yeah, it depends what you're going for, depends. man. I don't. Need a slippery noodle. <laughs> yeah. That one's really thick. That one takes us like nine minutes to cook. Hmm. hmm. So I like it when it doesn't have the ridges because the ridges add an extra minute or so. That's cool. All right. If you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the industry, what is it? Just one. Just huh? one. You know, I think it'd have to be get rid of tips. Yeah. Right? Because that would then snowball into fixing almost everything else. Yeah. The panacea, the tip conundrum. Yeah. I mean, Danny Meyer agreed. Yeah. He tried to do it. He knows his stuff. He knows well, how to we'll set never the be table. Able to do it, but it's just can, so deeply embedded in the culture. It, it is. It's it's That's there. The, hard part. The, the guest has like become accustomed to it, right? So 
Yeah. We just we just can't take it away. It's already been given. Yeah. And in that same vein, what's one thing you want listeners to walk away with knowing about flower power? Um, that we're there. Yeah. That yeah. they're on Chicago. Yeah, yeah. Chicago Avenue. Yeah. <laughs> Four days a week, Wednesday through uh, Saturday. Spelled F L O U R. Right. P O W E R. It's a great name. Did you come up with the name? I did. Did you yeah. did you think about other names or was that always? I the tried name? to, but it's so good. I hated it. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is so fucking cheesy. I can't do this. And then no, it's great. Well, and then also there's like everybody thinks we're a bakery, or that we sell like flower arrangements. Do you guys have merch? We have some retail stuff, and we had t-shirts, but those are all gone. I, I feel just, like we need Tim to make some merch. I just I just like to Let's do it. I just like to cook, man. Yeah. I know, I know I'm missing out on a lot of opportunities. No, no. Because it's just like, and I just brand all this stuff, get little like pasta packages and sell pounds of pasta. And it's just like, I'd just rather cook dinner. Yeah. It's There's time enough. for that later. There yep. is time. And, and I think, you know, what our concept was going to be and what it is now are two completely different things. Mm-hmm. Because we were going to open April of 2020. And, and, you know, I had a whole business plan with stations, with everybody's like, responsibilities all spelled out like their work tasks down to the hour and then pandemic hit and i was like i can just crumple this piece of paper up and never look at can, that again well can you go back to that i mean is that something to shoot toward no because no. that was Things written just during when the pandemic yeah it's when, obsolete right like yeah the, the restaurant industry isn't the same anymore mm-hmm. and so like you know that was when paychecks were going to be half of what they are now and and that's a big one, right? And you know, my yeah. to-go boxes were thirty dollars a case. Now they're fifty dollars a case, and it's just it like, is so annoying. All mm-hmm. those things. That, oh, it's going to go down. It's like, why would it go down? They're never going to make. Yeah, once down. they're getting just, paid the fifty, yeah, they're not going to take just, the thirty. Again. That's just what it is now. Yeah. Until yeah. a competitor comes, I guess. In the trading world, they say up like a rocket, down like a balloon. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yep. Uh, all right. What's your favorite spirit? Oh, I do like chartreuse. Or gin. Probably both one of those. Well, lucky for you, cool. Danny just found a hidden box of chartreuse. <laughs> That's true. I did find it. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. might not be hidden. I mean, it might have just come in. But oh. for the sake of me being right, let's just pretend <laughs> it's been there all along. That's a good answer. If yeah. Any follow-up gin and chartreuse. There? Yeah. Do you want something stirred or something shaken? I don't know. Whatever. Whatever. Like refreshing or like boozy? Yeah. Doesn't matter. Usually refreshing, I think. Cool. I really like the uh, the last word. All That's right, probably great. my favorite. Mm-hmm. Love that. Easy enough. I'm not a big drinker. Yeah, well. Except for when you're around. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what trivia category would you dominate other than maybe Midwestern seeds? <laughs> uh, um, boy, I don't know. I'm really kind of kind of just into food. Yeah, food is a good category. Music, but uh, I guess maybe a little bit. Like, I like to listen to music. You know, <laughs> I'm bad with names though. So a lot of yeah, times they're like, "Oh, I really know this song, but I don't know who it's by." Or... Yeah, yeah. When people ask me, I like the knowledge of all the names just falls out. Uh-huh. And then later on, I am like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." It's I'm so the hard. same way. I think it's uh, men of a certain age type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, all, right, so... all right. To what do you attribute your success? Hard work. Yeah. You know, um, I think there's a lot of people, I was talking with, uh, what was it, Anthony Rizzo, 
when I was working at Schwa, and he was like, he was mind blown with what we were able to produce. And he's like talking with me about like, how are you guys able to do this? Like, you know, it's like, like, like it's a really special talent. And I'm like, well, it is, it's a little bit of that. Right. But I think more so, and just like, and I think I was able to connect it with him because I was like, you know, people say that you're super talented. Right. And, but they don't see every single day that you're in the train room, every single day that you're in the batting cage, every single day that you're eating, breathing, living baseball. And that's exactly what it is with food for me, right? It's like I wake up in the morning and I'm up before the sun and I'm usually walking to my restaurant while the sun is rising. And I'm going back home after, you know, 11 o'clock, midnight. And, uh, and that's never been not the case, right? So it's like I wake up and it's just, it's, it's two things. It's the love for food and it's a love for, like, entertaining guests or, mm-hmm. like, or like, having that, like, that feeling of like it's like satisfying to know that like somebody's happy because of something that you gave them yeah right? and that's like you can't replace that and that was i think one of the hardest things about the pandemic is like here's your box yeah you don't might not see you ever again you know and it's like that that was hard that was probably the hardest part to deal with you know like I'm gonna take a video of me eating your food next time. Yeah, yeah, I feel Just that. Like, mm. like that is the best part of cooking for me is like seeing the person enjoy it. Yeah, that's why I like but that. Never happens for you. <laughs> I <know>. well, like, <laughs> I, I make dinner every night, and then like the second the food is ready, I'm like, Shannon, dinner's ready, because I want it to be enjoyed hot. I'm, yeah, this just ready, happened to me and today. And it's just like, I'll be right there. And I'm like, but it's the best I'm, right now. Yeah, I made breakfast for two other people. To, I mean, four, including my kids, but two adults, not including myself, two adults other than myself and two kids this morning. And like, none of them ate the food hot. And it just like drives me yeah. insane. You put the effort and you want them to enjoy it. And it's just it's like, peak. why did I, you just like, why did I do it? Mm-hmm. And yeah, meal it's, kits were yeah. the worst. Yeah. Because then it's like, not only don't I get to see you enjoy the food, but I'm relying on you to make it right. Exactly. Yeah. That's tough. And you have to make sure you have the instructions perfect so they don't. Yeah. Which even if they were, they'd still. Yeah. yeah make Someone some, would yeah. still be like, oh, I cooked all the noodles in the same pot. And now I don't know how to separate them. Like, well, that's because you're. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. They're yeah. all going to taste the same. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last question. What is something that bars or restaurants do that annoys you? I know we've touched on many, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. is there one we haven't talked about? But I think, like, for it to annoy me, I think it has to be, like... Fixable. Ha- right. Yeah, and, and, and I, think, I think a lot of the things that I don't do that a lot of restaurants do is, is, is there's a reason for it. And so it doesn't necessarily, like, bother me. I, I get mm-hmm. it. I get why people fry in cheap shortening. Um, I think I think I think the thing it's not necessarily restaurants it's more uh I mean it is restaurants it's the restaurant that hired them but it's the PR companies right it's the ones that say like oh this is the best we get the best finest ingredients from this part of the world and blah 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 and it's like yeah. dude you have the same vendors I do yeah we use the same product and I know you buy the cheaper one you know yeah. it's like yeah. It's this it's this whole like smoke and mirrors thing of like mm-hmm. uh, everything we do is better than anything else and it's like no it's not. It's every it's, single industry. I guess that is, right? Yeah. It's marketing. Yeah. Is all it is. I hate the marketing side of the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Cool. Well, that's a wrap on Wilson Bauer. Thanks so much for joining yeah. us. Yeah, yeah. thanks for being here, man.
And that wraps up our episode with Wilson Bauer. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to check us out on our Instagram page at JoinersPod. And if you have any questions or comments or people you'd like to see, feel free to reach out. Uh, This episode was produced by Matt Haddock and music by Captain Cuts. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Thank you.